0: Good Tuesday morning to everybody, and welcome to On Texas Football. Today, I'm your host Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of the On Three Network and InsideTexas.com. And guys, yesterday, of course, being the first day of the new week, lots of stuff happened. Let's start with Texas being ranked number eleven in the AP poll. What's your thoughts on that?
1: I I look, Steve Sarkeesian joked about it in his press conference. We'll get to some some of the that discussion in a moment, but uh Look, I, I think Texas has a top 10 talented team in college football right now. Top 10, top 15, whatever you want to say. The proof will be in the pudding, though. Uh, number 11 is is a a start. I don't necessarily think that's where they finished this year. Yeah, I think, uh, look,
2: it, it's great to be mentioned there um, to start year three for Sarkeesian because that means there was improvement on the field. And people are seeing a program that's ascending under Sark, And that's my number one thing with a preseason ranking. Uh, look, I mean, my I, I remain the same. Texas goes out and wins 10 games this year. They're going to be a top 10 ranked team uh, for the majority of the season. And that's where you want to be in year three under Sark.
0: Well, the other big thing yesterday, of course, was that Sark had a press conference. And uh, this question here kind of cracked me up from too, too broke to pay attention. He says, did we learn anything new? We learned a lot. <laughs> Go ahead. Not,
2: this was the longest text thread we've had on a press conference, prepping for a show. I, this is the most information Sark has ever put out in one press conference. And I thought it was awesome to hear a confident coach talking about a lot of his players.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I look he let's start with the one I we went into this uh, off offseason, uh, spe- especially the summer and fall, not knowing the true severity of D.J. Campbell's injury. Right. Um, and so we thought D.J. Campbell, Cole Hudson would battle for right guard. It's sounding more and more like D.J. Campbell is going to win that job, Jerry. Um, Blake, that that is that was probably he. He was effusive in his praise of DJ Campbell as well as a number of other players, but that's starting to look more and more like it's happening, has happened on the way to happening, et cetera. Um, I, I felt like that was one of the big takeaways, but they were, I mean, to Jerry's point, there were a ton of takeaways in this presser.
2: Yeah. Uh, again, a ton of takeaways, DJ Campbell. Look, we, we saw it. We heard about it in the spring before he got the wrist injury. Heard about in the summary, saw it in even the open media windows that, uh, look, he has got a different level of quickness to the second level and ability to power on contact. I mean, he can be devastating, use Bobby Burton's term, when he watches film of Neto, Umeo, Zulu in high school. He can be devastating, DJ Campbell, in the run game. And now he's 340 pounds athletically doing it. Um, good luck, Rice,
1: in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> well they just got to get going you know i i think the other thing that came out um we mentioned here if you follow an inside or on texas football over the weekend you know arch manning had a great week of practice had a great uh pra- a great scrimmage as well um he was over the top about arch manning he he literally came out and just said it he's had a great week um arch manning he said converted two third and longs with runs, kept the chains moving, was distributed the ball well, on and on. He really couldn't say enough about his freshman signal caller. And I I think that, Jerry, among all these guys that he mentioned, and Blake's got a list of, of folks, uh, it's just impressive. Uh, this, This recruiting class is legit, number one. Arch Manning is legit. Just wait. I mean, I know people are trying to tell us all this other stuff, <laughs> but they're legit.
2: Yeah, I mean, look. He, here's the thing with Arts for so, for people to know that maybe didn't follow his recruitment as much as they're following the player now at Texas. Uh, they he played in Isadore Newman offense that they had a lot of similarities. They ran a lot of the same stuff, a lot of the same calls, a lot of the same protections, a lot of the same terminology. The Steve Sarkeesian runs at Texas. So, Arch came in with a little bit of an advanced understanding. And, of course, he's from the Manning family. I mean, let's be real, right? So, he came in with an advanced understanding of the offense. So, after adjusting to the speed of the game in the spring, which he did quicker than even I anticipated, now you're seeing a guy that's bigger, stronger, faster. He was already a really good athlete. Now he's bigger, stronger, faster. Sark said he hit 20 miles an hour on that 50-plus yard touchdown run in the scrimmage. I mean, that's getting it now. I'm not sitting here saying he's going to rush for 1,000 yards. That's what we're saying. He's a <laughs> passer that can make plays with his feet. Uh, but here's the thing. Steve Sarkeesian talked in in his press conferences leading up to the fall camp when asked about Quinn, uh, Quinn Ewers in the quarterback position distributing the football. And I think Arch is doing a really good job of that, from what we hear. And to do that, that means you have a really good grasp of the offense, and you have really good timing with what you're seeing and getting the ball out of your hand, Bobby.
1: Yeah, I, I look. He's in. He's in great shape. I, I want to cut to something real quick, Jerry, because there are some some news we need to get to that is not, you know, it's not out there wide and far for Texas fans that don't follow every aspect of the program. Uh, But, Jerry, talk a little bit about Ryan Wingo, the wide receiver out of um, St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, Eric Nalin, yourself, everybody publishing that he's expected to move up his decision date now um, from late uh, from signing day, we think, until maybe before the season starts. Uh, He is the top rated receiver on the board right now for the Longhorns, a five star out of Missouri. But there's some complications here because Missouri, the state of Missouri, has an NIL law that allows high schoolers to receive NIL payments from in-state. Um, what is the latest on Ryan Wingo and where that recruitment is going right now? I just want to get some news in here uh, quickly. Yeah, yeah. So look, it, I Eric, uh, Justin Wells put out something.
2: I put out something yesterday as well. We have it covered at Inside Texas. Um, so it looks like Ryan Wingo, and he had been a December timeline, but so many of these kids end up committing before their senior season. We mentioned it with Wingo. We always said if he kept that December timeline, because we, we were always hearing it was possible he'd move it up before a senior season. But a lot of people are assuming that's just great news for Missouri, and maybe it ends up being great news for Missouri because of the new uh, NIL, i want to call it law, the, uh, legislation from the state. Meaning in the way I take this, Bobby, and and I don't know how much research you've done on it, uh, uh, as busy as we are, but the way I take this legislation is that beginning August 1, if you sign a financial aid agreement with a college in state, you can start receiving NIL, money off NIL. That is a really smart thing by Missouri. <laughs> it gives him a
1: four-month head start if he's a midtermer.
2: I mean, are you kidding me? And Ryan Wingo is a December high school graduate. Um, but here's what we, we're hearing. And this came from the Tennessee side, too. I, I, I spoke with a couple of sources yesterday. The thought is it's Missouri-Texas right now is the battle. Tennessee A&M are probably 3-4. But it could be coming down more to Missouri versus Texas with this decision timeline being moved up. And so a lot of Texas fans are going to say, oh, it's just a lock. He's going to Missouri. Uh, we'll see. Texas is battling on this, and they have been battling on this. Uh, Texas is very much in this recruitment. Um, we've said for a long time that Sark has this one. He's He's got a uh, good beat on this one. Uh, what's important in this recruitment to Ryan Wingo, uh, bringing in Arch Manning, getting him involved in this recruitment, hosting. Ryan Wingo. That tells you that you have a pretty good uh, beat on this recruitment as a head coach. And uh, the thing is, Sark has been is really like we heard from Colin Simmons' mom. Sark is per- very much personally involved in this recruitment with Wingo and his family. That's somebody who yep. has a good handle on a recruitment, Bobby. And we'll see what happens. This legislation. In the state of Missouri, Williams and the one just broke Oklahoma's heart yesterday, defensive lineman, and committed to Missouri, right? So there's two thoughts there. Is Wingo just going to follow suit because of that new legislation? Or does no one committing to Missouri give Wingo an out in a way? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see and, and when that decision
1: uh, date actually uh, is put out. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I think that's the question, right? Jerry is... Is Nwan Neri, the the big defensive lineman uh, out of Missouri that chose Missouri over everybody, Georgia, OU, Alabama, the Ohio State, the world, right? Not not a guy that typically goes to Missouri, by the way, without NIL factor, right? And so is he a guy that is a forerunner of what Ryan Wingo is going to do, or does he provide cover for Ryan Wingo? I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I do think that their new NIL rule, which goes into effect, to your point, I think August one, that allows their high schoolers from the state to sign NIL deals prior to their senior year, could give Missouri an outright, an overriding factor that nobody, not just Texas, nobody uh, could compete with. Again, though, it's only a four-month window that Ryan Wingo would be foregoing there. So let let's let's be clear. Uh, ultimately, though, I, I still wonder if these guys are going to hold up because if Eli Drinkwitz doesn't have a good year in Columbia, Missouri this year, he's he he needs to win. I'll just put it that way and not just in recruiting. He's uh, His back's up against the wall a little bit uh, right now as well.
0: Yes, definitely. All right, guys, I was uh, sitting here looking at some of these notes from Sark's conference yesterday. There's a few more things I wanted to touch on. And one of those, uh, as you said, Bobby, we have a list of some of some names, the young guys that he mentioned, Uh, Jelani McDonald, Derek Williams, Anthony Hill, Manny Muhammad and Trey Wisner, both for his play at running back and special teams. Are you all surprised by any of those on the list? Hey, where's
2: Derek Wisner, man? He's not on this morning. (laughs) Come
0: on. Uh, Hey, uh, you know, Sark mentioned Wisner at running
2: back and special teams, which I thought was interesting. Because that's the same things you heard about Keelan Robinson early on, right? So we talk about after Keelan's gone, who could be a guy that could have that role? I think you just heard Sark talk about that a little bit yesterday. To mention special teams this early for a freshman that wasn't an early enrollee, Bobby, says a lot to me about what they're thinking on him in, in as far as a role. I thought Jelani McDonald was another interesting one because coming in, to camp, not an early enrollee, came in this summer. The question was could Does he have a chance to stick at Star, or is he eventually going to be a linebacker? We'll see how that plays out. But the fact that they're talking about him so highly at Star right now look, Bobby, if you're 6'2, 210, 215, and have the feet of a corner, They're going to try to keep you at star as long
1: as possible. Let's be real. That gives a different dimension to the defense. Because of run support, too. Not just because he can turn a run, Jerry. I mean, imagine Jade Barron. I mean, Jade Barron was used to blitz quite a bit. And even run blitzes, by the way. So let's be clear. It's not just an all-out pass blitz. I mean, run blitz. Jade Barron last year against um, uh, UTSA hit a perfect run blitz. But then he couldn't break down quick enough because he's not as big, right, as yeah. as a Jelani McDonald. And the guy ended up getting a first down after he hit him in the backfield on a third and three um, and, and broke the tackle. So size can help. Um, but I thought it was more interesting that McDonald was the first, <laughs> first name out of his mouth. Yes. And then Derek Williams, another guy that's 6'2", 215. I mean, you, you just start... Layering in these guys, and I know, look, I made a lot about this a week and a half ago when I went and watched the three practices, guys. It is legitimate when you go out there and look at these guys. You're just like, where, where are they getting them from? Because they look, I mean, they're six they're 6'2", 215, and they're playing the secondary. That That's that's not not normal. Another freshman that you all didn't mention, or that you didn't mention there, uh, Blake, that he brought up a little bit was Warren Roverson. Yep. Uh, he also mentioned Manny Muhammad. Uh, Jerry, you know, Jerry, you wrote an article for inside Texas that I thought was terrific this morning, talking about the three position battles you're watching. You did not mention cornerback. Yeah. And, um, Manny Muhammad will not likely start, um, this season. Don't get us wrong. Terrence Brooks and Ryan Watts look like they're, uh, they're, they're pegged to be starters. But Sark mentioned Muhammad's versatility of being able to play both, both, Boundary and field, and furthermore, we know that he's been causing turnovers. Uh,
2: that's my point, Bobby. I mean, you're a true freshman corner, even though you've been in spring practice. And Sark can say you caused two turnovers in a scrimmage, had an interception, and a cause fumble. Man, you're making you're a playmaker. And what, Bobby? What have you been talking about for two years, three years on inside Texas? Uh, which, by the way, if you're not a subscriber to Inside Texas, get over there. Texas needs more playmakers on defense. And uh, Malik Muhammad's proven to be a playmaker early on. Two other true freshmen he mentioned later in the press conference, Trevor Gooseby, which we had talked about. He's gained 26 pounds since showing up. <laughs> but I want to read what Sark said about him, too. He said, very athletic with a mean streak for a young lineman. That is also telling guys. And then he mentioned Ryan Niblett. So Quinn Ewers mentioned Ryan Niblett last week. Now Sark's first mention of Ryan Niblett yesterday, and he called him tough and aggressive. We already know he's kind of a freak athlete, but now you're throwing tough and aggressive into it. Texas obviously thinks they see something in Ryan Niblett early on.
0: So he mentioned the young guys. And then, of course, he also came out with another category where he said, these guys have made big strides. And we talked about Arch already. We talked about DJ Campbell. But he also uh, specifically mentioned Justice Finkley, Jeray Bledsoe, and Gunner Helm, which I thought was interesting. I love the, the depth at, at defensive end there. I mean, I,
1: that, that was another one of the big notes from yesterday. I mean, I, I'm telling you, um, when he came out and said specifically that uh, – that Dre Bledsoe and Justice Finkley had good scrimmages uh, alongside Alfred Collins. That that name has been mentioned. Jerry can put his gla- glasses on now if he wants to. <laughs> but but my point <laughs> being my point being is that that is like music to my ears because if there is a position on defense that I am concerned about long term at Texas, it has been that edge spot, and it's not necessarily because I don't think they're going to be able to get by. It's because I don't know that they have the depth to, to sustain, sustain problems there. If something happens, what are they going to do uh, to one of the front line guys? Um, and the other the other spot, linebacker. Now, it, it sounds like they're figuring out right now, guys, what they're going to do at edge and the pieces of the puzzle. We have yet to hear, we've heard, oh, well, David Benda is going to start. We've yet to hear that David Benda is standing out. Mo Blackwell is standing out. Anthony Hill, we hear guys that has another name uh, that came up in Sark's presser. He just he, he admitted, oh, we're going to have pre- we're going to put him on the edge. I mean, that's the first time where Sark said, oh, well, he, before he said, we'll have a package, we'll do this. We'll try to do this. Nah, he, he just dispensed with all formalities yesterday and said, yeah, we're going to put him on the edge. I mean, he did. Right. I mean, he just he didn't even play. So. Uh, basically what what that means is everything we've been talking about this, this spring and this summer and even the first couple of weeks of camp is coming to fruition before our eyes. And look, I, I wrote an article on Inside Texas this morning. The, the reality of it is right now is that Texas has a great roster, a great roster. They've got a lot of upper upper class talent. They've got a lot of underclass talent. It is a situation where they don't have a lot of weak spots. And what does that mean? I I think it's going to end up meaning you can win football games on offense. You can win football games on defense. And you're going to be able to win football games at times on special teams. When you have a roster top to bottom like that, you can win multiple ways.
0: Well, the other interesting, you were talking about, you know, obviously Anthony Hill spinning down to edge. And he specifically had a segment where he talked about we're cross-training some players. Um, he said Anthony Hill's an off-the-ball linebacker, but we're cross-training him at the edge position to utilize him in pass rush in certain packages. But then he went on and said Chris Ross is playing five technique, and then on third downs, they're bumping him out to rush the passer. And uh, he said he he felt like they had a really good package going defensively, and they've done a great job of creating those one-on-one matchups. What y'all's thoughts on Ross specifically moving out there on third down?
2: Yeah, I think he's added some weight back, right? He had dropped about 35 pounds uh, since he reported at Texas, which to me is one of the weirdest things. Now he's back up to around 255. But he's a guy who has edge, quickness with his feet, and length. He's an 82-inch wingspan guy at 6'3", like incredibly long arms. And I think he's he's always been more of a disruptor player than an anchor type of player as an interior prospect. So I think that is naturally kind of where his mind goes is to be a disruptive guy. And if you can get a guy that can you can have some some disruptiveness and maybe get after the quarterback a little bit on the edge, but has that length also to play against the, in the run game, I think maybe that it may be his best position long term because he's it's just a weird one to me, Bobby. He had the frame that carried 290, 295 pounds, but for whatever reason he went the other way when he got to Texas and now he's starting to build that, some of that
1: back. You think maybe he was working out harder than he'd ever worked out Mm -hmm. before Jerry. I mean, North North shore does a great job with its kids. So this is not a, this is not an indictment there by any stretch. Um, But some guys don't actually work hard uh, as hard in the weight room before they get to uh, Austin. And so that's my question, right. Is, is do it was he a guy that didn't really work all that hard because he was in multiple sports. Yeah. He he ran track and and, and, and actually did the, the, uh, the uh, weights did uh shot and discus, right? So is that part of the process of him losing weight? Not unlike a big guy like Malik Ogbo and Andre Kojo have already done on the offensive line. And then he starts repairing his body by adding the right weight later. Uh, we'll see, but, the thing that Chris Ross has always had, Jerry, and you know this, going back to recruiting, is an ability to get after the passer. He's got a great first step, uh, really quick and a closer on, on the passer.
2: By the way, we need to mention, Jere Bledsoe was mentioned again yesterday, guys. That's the second time Sark's mentioned Jere Bledsoe. Um, so we, wanna, we need to keep throwing that name out there because the more Sark mentions him, the more we know he's gone from a flash player to a guy they're seeing more consistency from. And that is everything we know from Sark's press conferences now. When he says guys are flashing, they want more consistency.
1: He's kind honestly of saying, did, hey, Jerry, question for you. In, yeah. in, in all seriousness, do you think what you get out of Jare Bledsoe early in the season can look so drastic, drastically different by what you're getting out of him at the end of the season? So is he one of those guys that you think, this could be his development year to go from, not unlike what Baron Sorrell did last year, right? Where he went from a guy that was starting to potentially a guy that you can count on big time in, in certain situations.
2: Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, look, the, he came out of Bremon slash Marlon uh, as raw as any defensive lineman Texas could recruit. Um, he came out as a elite athlete. Now, I went and watched him play basketball Bremon in a practice and I was just blown away. And I knew that's why Texas, Bo Davis, Ed are on. Just go down the list. Uh, Nick Saban, all these guys were offering him. It was easy to see his talent. But my point is, he had a bigger learning curve than anybody Texas signed in the twenty twenty two class. Period. In the discussion, he getting in early was going to be good for him as an early enrollee. Then he had the hernia surgery, I believe. Um, so that cut short his spring. Then that cut short some development time uh, with Tory Becton. So last year was really a big learning year for him on the field. And we saw a couple of flashes in practice. But now here's the deal, Bobby. I think I think he's a more confident player. And I think confidence goes a long way. Okay, I'm understanding what Bo Davis and PK are teaching me. And now I can actually go take it to the field. Um, because I think he's the guy who's going to go from thinking as a great athlete to playing, to your point. The more snaps he gets early this season, watch out for him late in the season. Like you said, he's going to go from a thinker to an athlete just playing
1: and watch out when that happens. He is
2: very (laughs) talented.
1: I want to say one other thing happened yesterday, guys, before we get to questions and whatnot, Blake. Um, We need to mention that Iowa State implicated another player uh, in the gambling uh, issues, A a starting defensive tackle for them. They don't have depth, guys. Now, Iowa State's pretty good, one deep. They've lost their starting quarterback. Now they're starting defensive tackle. Right, Game Isaiah Lee. He bet, he bet against Iowa State. <laughs> <Apparently>, <laughs> allegedly. I, I got to say
0: allegedly. All right, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. All right, guys. Well, let's get to some questions. And by the way, plenty of time to get those questions in. We would definitely appreciate it. And you know, We would also like for you to uh, press that like and subscribe button if you haven't already. So, this first one is the super chat, DK Longhorn fan. Thank ah. you, DK. He says, Good morning. Who is your sneaky breakout player for the team on offense and defense this year?
1: You go first, Bobby. Offense, it's, it's, I don't know if it's sneaky, but I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with Jonathan Brooks, guys. Okay. Um, I don't know that that's a breakout player since he's a starter, but he hasn't been a starter before. I just, if he's healthy, I, I, you guys are going to be really impressed with Jonathan Brooks. That would be, if you haven't seen him yet, he is a, if Jonathan Brooks is healthy, he's a potential NFL starting running back. That, that's what I'm trying to say to y'all. Um, and I don't know if I can adequately express it unless I come out with, with something like that. Uh, on defense, I, I'm going to say Mo Blackwell. Um, I, I just think that he's he's kind of a glue guy. Uh, and I think that Texas is going to get people in a lot of third and long situations. Uh, a lot of teams are going to be playing from behind, and they're going to be needing to to kind of air it out and getting Mo Blackwell on the field more. I think he's going to see some more time because of that because teams aren't going to just be able to line up and run the ball on Texas. So that's my sneaky surprise player for defense. Offense for me is Neto.
2: Um, look, we talked about DJ Campbell, um, how he's looking good to uh, maybe win that right guard job, and that's not a knock on Cole Hudson. Cole is a very good player. That's just how talented Texas is on the offensive line. I'm gonna, I'm watching Neto at left guard when the games start here because he's in a competition as well. Uh, but if if he takes it from, if he takes it from the practice field to Saturdays. He has another level like D.J. Campbell does in the run game at guard. I mean, and that's not a knock on Hayden Connor, but Neto is – he is a very high-end talent. Texas could end up being really good in the run game on the interior as long as those guys are good in pass pro. To me, that's – you can't get Quinn killed. And they work together well with J. Majors. And work together well and trust the tackles and center uh, on the outside and inside of them um defense is an interesting one for me um you know i've been thinking about that i've been thinking about that um it's easy to say a corner i'm not going to go there um not really going to look at safety i'll tell you what it's not breakout but i think sadir mitchell as the season moves along as a guy who was ranked 220 in the country as a four-star prospect but Texas can throw him in for three snaps at a time and you literally can't move him. And he does have quickness. Um, if you come with your first wave of guys and you have the ability to bring in Sadir behind it, it knows, man, that's that kind of sucks for the center. <laughs> it's going up against Texas, right? I mean, they're going to see this guy walk out here as a backup and they're just going to be like, my gosh. And then he's going to strike them and they're going to be like, I can't move this guy. And that's going to make Jalen Ford an even better player for those
1: three snaps than he already is. Sark said it perfectly. He said, what we need from Sadir Mitchell is three strong plays in a row. Mm-hmm. These, these guys that come in that are this big, they're used to trying to basically manage their effort or workload throughout an entire game. Because in high school, they may play they may play both ways the, for the entire game. So they're managing 60 to 80 reps a game, whereas now they're going to ask Sadir Mitchell to give them everything they've got for 10 to 15. Yep. And that's the the, the effort level for, for Sadir has to be more consistent, according to, to Sartre. And, and that makes sense.
2: Hey, Blake, I'm going to pick off a couple of these questions. You have to pull yep. them up. But a uh, champ Bailey three is Texas completely out on Julian Lewis, twenty twenty six quarterback. I just, I'll be surprised if he doesn't end up at Georgia We'll see, but yeah, I just look with KJ Lacey in the boat in twenty five. I, I I'll be uh I'll be surprised on that.
0: All right, guys, we're gonna go uh, to Jimmy Trevino's question, which is a super chat, and Sark actually addressed part of this yesterday. Yeah. He says updates on Baron and Worthy on health. Swoops days till kickoff, eighteen days. Um, <laughs> of course, uh, Sark said yesterday that Xavier Worthy was a little banged up over the weekend yesterday. Full speed ahead, but what are y'all hearing on Baron?
2: Yeah. Xavier was uh, illness. So he was back at practice yesterday. Uh, That was more of that maybe stomach bug that's gone around a little bit um, in in the Texas team. And so he wasn't held out for injury. He was held out for illness. Jada Baron, Bobby, I'll let you get into, I think it's just more soreness he's got to keep working through. Just
1: soreness. He's playing, he's full go. So, I mean, I, Sark made a point of it. We're healthy. Outside of Savion Red guys uh, who was injured, uh, uh, with sprained shoulder and it is due back in two weeks, by the way, not, it's not a separated shoulder that he's not going to be back in, uh, you know, three months. I, they're, they're healthy, extraordinarily healthy for this time of year. Uh, a couple of, I do want to say this for everybody. Uh, Texas has practiced this evening. Uh, there's a, I think it starts at seven. Uh, Sark is trying to weave it so that they're not going back to back within 24 hours. So he did a, a mid-afternoon practice yesterday, going to do an evening practice uh, tonight. Uh, so we'll we'll have some news on that and what transpired early tomorrow morning uh, for you guys in this uh, football and coffee or coffee yeah. and football, whatever we want to call it. Something so, I yeah. want to get to again because we failed
2: to mention and I want us to mention, I've got so many talking points from Sark's uh, presser. Let's talk about star position real quick. We've had a couple of Jalen Gilbo questions come through. Sark talked about their four deep at star yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned Baron Jalen Gilbo mentioned coming back and doing some really good things off his injury. Then Austin Jordan, who uh, has been has had a good camp, and Jelani McDonald. So, Bobby, we talk about the death, but we'd had a couple of Gilbo questions. One to mention he was wearing a right knee brace, those media open uh media sessions where uh we were there, but for Sark to single him out yesterday again. People forget before his injury, Jalen Gilboa was having a really good freshman year. I mean, he Texas was not
1: scared to put him on the field in some pressure pack situations. I, I gotta say this. So, so we're talking about let, let's read let's retrench a little bit, okay? Sart name dropped a lot yesterday, yep. more than he ever has since he's been a coach at Texas. Yeah. Period in the story. I mean that. It's the first thing that all of us talked about yep. offline on in text threads and whatnot. That tells me that, there, that he likes this team a ton and he likes the individuals within it. Right. This, what this is not the same Sark that two years ago didn't mention a ton of players or last year didn't mention a ton of players. This is a guy that feels really confident about his roster. Doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean they're going to go undefeated. Um, but I just Jalen Gilbo's one of those guys that he likes Austin Jordan. He mentioned as well. I mean, yep. he feels yep. like they've got pieces all around the field. And I just, I mean, look as a Texas, a long time observer and fan of Texas going back 30 years now, this, and I said it on inside Texas today, this looks like a Texas team is supposed to look, it doesn't mean they're going to win 12 games. But this looks like one of the ten most talented teams in college football. Period. Doesn't mean they're going to win twelve. They they may they may finish nine and three in the regular season. I mean, I, I don't know that. But I'm telling you, you're going to watch this team. And you're going to go out and they're going to look. You're going to go out and see them against Rice, and you're going to see Jelani McDonald and Derek Williams out there look like the you know better physically better than any player Rice puts on the field. I mean, I'm just it's going to happen. Not that they're going to produce that way. But that's where Texas is headed, and I think that Sark loves it and leans into it a lot, and, right. and that's, yeah. that's healthy for Texas. Let's
2: mention a couple other things, and we'll get back to some more questions. One of the first things he said about the scrimmage was we tackled well for the first scrimmage. I thought that was an interesting mm-hmm. comment. And then it's not all great. This is part of training camp. Too many pre-snap penalties in the scrimmage. He mentioned that. And then he said three turnovers and 130 plays. To me, that's not that bad. I mean, 130 plays, but obviously one was an ill-advised pass that Manny Muhammad picked off on a stop route. But tackled well first scrimmage, too many pre-snap penalties. So great on the defense. Um, offensively, look, defense is always ahead of offense to me, Bobby, in the early in these camps. Pre-snap penalties – those are things that Texas. That's great coaching points for the Texas staff
1: headed into this week. The three, uh, the three uh, turnovers. By the way, uh, Manny Muhammad uh, caused a fumble on yep. uh, J.T. Sanders. Lianga Lafau jumped on it. That was one. Manny Muhammad picked off Malik Murphy uh, for a pick six, and then Quinn Ewers and I. He, while while Steve Sarkeesian did not mention the name of the receiver that got crosswired with Ewers. The receiver ran the wrong route. That, we believe, was Isaiah Nayor. Jaron Thompson picked him off in situational. I think it was red zone drills. Right. Jerry. So those were the three turnovers from the scrimmage. All
0: right, guys. We talked about Star. uh, But one thing that that Sark talked about yesterday as well was the cornerbacks and how well they're doing. And he mentioned uh, Brooks, Muhammad, and Holmes as standouts and then circled back and said Warren Roberson, the true freshman as well. So this next question. From Andrew Pryor says, any word on Gavin Holmes to transfer from Wake Forest? What are y'all hearing more in depth than what Sark mentioned yesterday? He is a field corner. So he he can't go up. Like, whereas Terrence Brooks
1: and Manny Muhammad are going to be able to play field and boundary, Gavin Holmes will be a field corner, almost exclusively. Um, I think you'll see him in dime packages from what I'm being told. Take that for what it's worth um i think you'll also see him and they'll rotate heavily early in the season because i i mean they've got a 230 game against rice i mean it's gonna be 100 plus degrees i don't care i don't know what the exact temperature i think it was 96 or 98 is the uh pregame you know we're two weeks out so you don't know what the weather's gonna do but my point being uh i think that this this is gonna give them a chance to to rotate some guys in terrence brooks though has by all accounts, won that boundary cor- or that uh, field corner job at this point. So uh, that's why Jerry, for example, did not mention cornerback as a big uh, piece of uh, a big question mark for, uh, uh, for uh, what do you call it position battle in today yep. on Inside Texas. Hey,
2: and here's the most exciting thing about the corner business. Somebody asked about the LED lights for this, this season. I do believe those are installed and they'll be ready to roll. Um, Here's the great thing about corner this season. We've talked about four guys who are all really good. Ryan Watts has an NFL draft grade heading into his senior year, maybe lower than some other guys, but still has an NFL draft grade. Watts is the only guy that won't be back.
0: Uh, Bobby, a second ago, you talked about how good Texas is looking, how much better they're going to look on the field than Rice from a physical standpoint. So this next question from Forrest Eldridge says, is it just me or is our strength and conditioning program on another level? I feel like I've never seen this many transformations in such a short amount of time. They've certainly done a good job getting bad weight off of offensive linemen as
1: as well or better than I've seen anybody do. Uh, But I would tell you that uh, there's an I I hate to use this. It's like this episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owners, racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. what you get inputted is what you get output right it's garbage in garbage out so if you get bad bad stuff in you're going to get bad stuff I think it has as much as it has to do with development and strength and conditioning program etc i think it has a whale of a lot to do with the quality of player coming into the program and then those people creating the culture around it that they want to go work hard um because that's what Sark is, I think. Built and some of the like Byron Murphy has has worked hard. Uh, Jade Barron, we mentioned that he's been a, Xavier Worthy's been a hard worker since he's been there, and he's a wide receiver. Yeah. Um. And I know that 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 just sounds, Jerry. This is one of the the interesting parts of it. When I tell people that Xavier Worthy's one of the hardest workers on the team, they 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 picture a wide receiver like him as a diva. Yeah. Right. And so it's just. It's this dichotomy of two different ways you think about a people, but that's the reality. He's one of they, they say he's one of the best practice players and one of the hardest workers on the team. Hey, I've Bobby, been. this is a good time to bring
2: up something. We've talked about prospects that come out of Fresno. <laughs> this isn't SoCal; they aren't divas, man. They are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm not saying SoCal all SoCal guys are, but I'm saying the glitz and glamour can produce some. Fresno kids are different. They, aren't, they don't have that SoCal in them that some kids can kind of get wrapped up in. Somebody asked about how did Quinn look. Uh, Sarkeesian said Quinn looked really well. Um, uh, it looked really good, played really well in the scrimmage Saturday. Um, you know, from what I heard, that uh, Bobby, I think you heard the same thing. I want to point out one play that is big in Quinn's year one, the year two development for me is the play where J.T. Sanders had a forced fumble. Leona LaFowle hit him from behind, from what I hear, and Malik Muhammad had the helmet on the ball. Good play by Muhammad. But you said climb the pocket correctly. Quinn Ewers climbed the pocket, shifted, had to make a move right, kept his eyes up down the field, and delivered a pass on the move from one of his famous different arm slots to a crossing J.T. Sanders. That's how we heard the play transpired. That's a play that if Quinn makes consistently this year, guys, he goes to another level as a quarterback because that means he's playing well within the pocket.
1: It's and climbing the pocket is such a it, it gives you gives your receivers that half second more to get open. It allows a play to develop. Um, those are major, major pieces that Quinn Ewers has to create because every pocket's not going to be clean. It doesn't matter how good DJ Campbell looks or Kelvin Banks or whoever. Every pocket's not going to be clean. I mean, this is football. And so those guys buying people, buying their linemen and receivers time to get open is invaluable. I mean, invaluable. And if So if if Quinn can do that by moving within the pocket instead of bailing deep, like the worst thing you see nine times out of ten is a quarterback that bails deeper into the pocket. So he goes from five to seven yards back to ten. That's almost always a bad move. Quinn did that quite a bit last year. Not all the time, but quite a bit. It'll be interesting to see if he can do it less and move up into the pocket this year because I think that this creates, it'll create a more powerful offense for Texas, no doubt.
2: Um, somebody asked about how much weight were these gained. You don't have to bring it up, Blake, but he's up to 172 pounds. He was 160 when he got to Texas, but he's always going to be a wiry guy. I mean, hes I don't think he's ever going to weigh 180 probably. May, he may get close to it, uh, but he's gained 12 pounds since he's been at Texas. Somebody else asked about Wardell Mack coming into Florida yesterday, David Williams. I want to address that real quick recruiting question before we move on. Um, look, anybody that's on Inside Texas now, I, when I went to John Aaron July 13th before I went to Lafayette for Melvin Hill's announcement to Texas commitment ceremony, I put out that he likes, really likes Florida. You know, when you've been doing this a long time and you talk to these kids in person, it's the value of going out and seeing these kids and going to schools. You could just tell when he talked about Florida, there was something a little different with him. Um, That's why, you know, look, we're all wrong in this business. It's it's, the industry, I think, was 0 for 9 on predictions on Mac yesterday. That doesn't mean anything bad. Um, But look, I've missed on guys, too. But when you go out and see these kids in person, man, you could really tell that Wardell liked Florida. That's a school he, you could tell he's liked for a while. Then having Jabbar Jaloot, Corey Raymond, and Billy Napier, all guys with Florida ties uh, – sorry, Louisiana ties in recruiting. And the fact that he went there that last weekend in July after he already visited in June uh, and did not show up at LSU two days before, it really came down to Florida, Texas. I think Mac went with a – he just went with the place he – he told me that day, he said, I feel comfortable at Florida. I just think he went for the place that he wanted to be, and that's recruiting. You're not going to get them all. And Now, hey, Colin Simmons had a tweet yesterday, by the way, guys, um, <laughs> responding to a video I did with Josh Newberg um, on, on three about where the tax, who could yep. be next for the Texas class, how high could it finish. I think he said, just wait.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Definitely You'll have the, you and Justin are going to get together for the recruiting breakdown later today. Yeah. Um, that'll be good Good stuff to, because not only are you going to mention those guys, but Dominic McKinley is, is coming up on a decision. Uh, Ryan Wingo we're talking about as well. Brandon Baker, there's some new news there. Uh, a lot of stuff to go over in recruiting, Jerry, right now for you guys. Absolutely.
0: Speaking of recruiting, guys, we're going to stay on that for just a minute here. This super chat from Mike Gosnell. He says, I love having coffee and inside Texas content in the morning. Well, oh, we love having you, Mike. He says, do you think that Corian Morris commit to LSU was premature and unlikely to stick? Jerry?
2: I think it was a little premature, according to people in Duncanville. I think they were a little surprised. know, uh, yeah, I can't predict if it sticks or not. I, I mean, I'll say this. I mean, a lot of those early ones, it's, you know, teams really have to fight to hold on. Um, as a guy that's ranked in the top 10 of the country, I guess I'd be surprised if that was his, the way his commitment went down and then he signed. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think it's a long ways away. Um, and you know, Texas and USC will stay stay fighting on that one, and I'll be surprised if he doesn't show up at some campuses this fall.
0: this next one is the super chat from Doug Dodson, and then I'm gonna ask a follow-up question after this. Uh Doug says, Why do Texas high school coaches oppose letting high school kids make NIL money?
1: Um, it's not the Texas high school coaches oppose, I mean it's the state legislature, state law that they can't. Um while some probably oppose it, not all do, that, that would be clear. The other piece on it, um, Blake, that I think that, that would be important to note is I think the idea in Texas of super teams in high school is a very real possibility, and they want to go away from the IMG model in Texas high school sports. Um, they, don't, they don't necessarily want a modern day in California that, that gives scholarships to, to great players, Right. Um, and all of a sudden, becomes the de facto best team in the in the in the state. So that that's it's kind of a mix and match there. But it's not the high school coaches that are so totally against NIL as much as it is is just the state legislature decided no go on that.
0: And then the follow up question, uh, guys, is actually from our friend Chase Yarbrough over at Goosehead Insurance, and he wants you to clarify, Bobby. He said uh, he may have missed it, but just so he can understand, Missouri athletes can accept NIL once they sign financial aid agreement in state only. Um, is the, it Jerry, go, state yeah,
1: yeah. Jerry, go ahead and talk about that because I, I don't, I, I think it's a grant in aid. It's not the actual Correct. scholarship itself. Correct. It's w- when you sign a letter of intent, there's two pieces of it. One is the letter of in, intent itself. Well, that's, that's uh, mandated by the NC and, man and uh, used by the NCAA clearinghouse. So that's one document. The second doc document is the grant and aid that actually comes from the university, completely separate from anything the NCA has to do with. Yeah. That's what Jerry was talking about when he mentioned that, right, Jerry.
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I was mention- mentioning. Mentioning it. You can't send, sign a letter of intent until you enroll at that university. So December for high school graduates, right. Um, Or, you know, So that is the difference there. So the grant and aid part of that, your scholarship papers, which is different from your NIL, um, if you sign that the grant and aid now, as of August 1, you can start uh, making money off your name, image, and likeness in state. And look, the reality is, you're going to sign with Missouri to do that. You're going to sign Grant and Aid with Missouri to do that. I mean, you're not going to sign with somebody else and get NIL deals in St. Louis, probably. Okay. I mean, that's just I. I don't know, Bobby. I think that's I. I don't know any other way to say it. There's some pressure there for kids.
1: Man, yeah, no, no doubt. And I, w- I would say the other thing to to keep in mind on that that's that's unique is that he can sign multiple Grant and aids. Yeah. It doesn't. He doesn't just have to sign with. I mean. Uh, there have been cases where guys have signed with four different schools that right. paperwork and then right. actually signed a letter of intent with another. It does, That grant aid doesn't bind you to that school. It binds the school to you.
0: That's right. All right. Well, we've had a few questions about Jordan Ross. So I want to ask one of those. Kabir Hussain says, where do we stand with Jordan Ross?
2: You know, not a not a name that we're hearing as much at edge. Obviously made an official visit June 16th through 18th. This is the four-star edge out of Astavia Hills in Birmingham. Uh, Florida was thought to be the leader early on. I don't think Florida's in the mix there. Uh, Tennessee, I think, is still hanging around in in this recruitment. There was talk about an Oregon-USC trip during the season, but I think like a lot of these other highly ranked kids, these families are ready for this thing to end and make a commitment before you step on the field your senior year. Um, So we'll see which way that goes. We're hearing more at the edge position with Zena, with Danny Okoye, with even Solomon Williams, but we'll double back and check on Jordan Ross. I do think he decides for his senior year. I will say him and Colin Simmons have struck up a friendship, um, but we'll see uh, We'll see what Texas does. Well,
0: let's stay on the subject of edge, but let's talk about on the actual team this year. Tita uh, Pair One says, Bobby and Jerry, who's going to be the surprise breakout pick for edge this year?
1: Uh, it may be Jure Bledsoe. Based on what I'm hearing, maybe Chris Ross. I had no clue. Well, I mean, Jerry, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I don't have the answer for that. I mean, I, I don't know if Ethan Burke would qualify as that. I mean, he's the guy that's taken over a starting role, so maybe the easy answer is him, Uh, but I, I don't know outside of that. I mean, look, Sark mentioned Justice Finkley yesterday is coming on, so is could you be a breakout player if you're really, really, really good against the run? Because I maintain first down run defense with this clock change, uh, the, cha- the rule that clocks runs on first downs, first down run defense has never been more important in college football than this season. Because if you can skip people behind the chains, it changes the way these running teams have to operate. So does Finkley become more valuable on first downs for Texas this year? We'll find out shortly.
0: Well, we're going to stay on the theme of defense. Derek Wisner has a super chat, and he says, good morning. Where does the defense finish in final rankings? Hey, you got in late. We were talking about Trey
2: earlier. That (laughs) Stark mentioned him as having a good scrimmage at running back and on special teams. So congrats to uh, your nephew on that. Um, Where does the defense finish in the final rankings, Bobby? I mean, you know what? A twenty-first last year. No,
1: they they finished so thirtieth. So there, right? There's two different. Yeah. So look, there's total defense rankings, which is right. the old way of looking at things, which I grew up on, and we all, most of us, I think everybody on this uh, this channel, at least the three of us, Blake, Jerry, and I, grew up on. And then there's this new efficiency rating. <laughs> well, Texas actually finished eleventh in the country last year in efficiency. So that's defense. That, that includes third downs, fourth downs, um, number of yards versus opponents, and then it it basically backs in, backs in. Well, they averaged this opponent averaged 400 yards a game in offense, but against Texas, they only got 330. So it mixes all those factors in. Texas finished 11th last year. Is this a top 10 unit? I I really don't know, but what I do believe is that they're going to be in that that five to 20 range this year you know give or take uh if they average under 20 under 21 points a game that may be the biggest one i'm looking at how many points a game because they can't allow big busts like they allowed some big plays against say tcu last year right a couple of big touchdowns If they can minimize those along with keeping the ball in front of them like they did so well for most of last year, you're talking about an elite defense.
2: Hey, Bobby, that goes into one other thing Sark pointed out in his PC. Great lead in, sir. Sark said, we want to play more man coverage this year, but to do that, it requires disciplines in your pass rush lanes on third downs. And he was talking about after Arch had those two big third down runs, Against man defense where they're blitzing. Guys have to be, uh, they have to be able to stay in their lanes in order for Texas to be as aggressive defensively as they ideally want.
0: Well, speaking of Arch Manning, this next super chat here from in- Informative Contribution. Thank you, Informative. We definitely appreciate that. He says, does anyone have a video of Manning's 50-plus yard rushing touchdown that everyone's talking about? Did this actually happen? <laughs> well,
2: that reminded me. I
1: want to watch that again. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jerry. Um, it is most definitely out there, but not public. Right? Um, Sark talked about it specifically in the presser. I mean, he had no, no problem about it, uh, talking about it. Said they clocked Arch at 20 miles an hour on the run downfield just to give you guys a sense of when we talk about him having some speed, he actually has some legitimate speed uh, in the open field, uh, but they have not made that public to my knowledge. Jerry, if you haven't seen anything or Blake yeah. y'all haven't seen anything anymore, no, right? I have not. It exists though. Just not, yes. just not publicly.
2: Yeah. Sark even spoke about it at the press conference yesterday. So it's definitely exists. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's... There is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Oh,
0: man. <laughs> I did not expect that to pop up. Well, All Texas right, fans
2: are That's Ty Simpson running from uh, Alfred Collins and everybody else here <laughs> in about a month. <laughs>
0: Uh, now we have a super chat here from Poe Casino and he says, based off heels impact and considering lots of playing time, especially when we have a big lead, I could see him getting 10 sacks when the season's done y'all thoughts.
1: Man, I, I, I think they're going to be more by, by committee this year. Um, I, I don't know that I think tens a lot. I'll just put it that way. I think it's going to be a by committee. Um, and I don't think that, Hill's going to be in on enough regular downs, like early downs, where he's going to be able to accumulate that many. And if he does start accumulating a lot, people are going to switch their 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 protections to guard against him too. So the the opposing teams will notice him if he starts running up that many sacks. Would be my thoughts, Jerry. What are you, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said. I think 10's a big number. I mean, uh, w- w- what did uh, Harold Perkins have last year? I mean, seven and a half. I mean, 10's a big number for a freshman, okay? Um, if if Texas got six, six and a half sacks out of Anthony Hill this year, that would be a massive year. Because again, as Sark said, he's going to play off the ball and then they're going to have him in some situationals at edge. So he's they still want him to develop as an all-around linebacker. And especially for that NFL draft down the line. So I think a six, six and a half number would be a huge freshman year, considering he's also going to be playing in space and playing off the ball.
0: And yes, Jerry Harold Perkins with seven and a half sacks, three force fumbles, one interception, 72 tackles. There you go. All right. This next question uh, is kind of leading off this past one. It's from Not Political, Just a Realist. He said, if y'all had to pick one person to get more than six sacks, not named Sorrell. Who would
2: it be? I just went with it. Hill six and a half.
1: <laughs> uh God, Jerry, you're gonna you're gonna have to wear your sunglasses. Uh Alfred Collins. Uh
0: oh. Alfred Collins. let well, hey, me tell you
2: something. If Alfred Collins gets six and a half sacks this year, he's going maybe in the late first round of the NFL draft.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Probably, probably second because of the consistency early in his career, but he'll be looked at as a first round talent that didn't play up to it enough and goes in the second round. If he puts up numbers like that, man, watch out. It's that guy that will vault from nowhere with a lower
0: NFL draft grade right now to really high moving on we got a lot of questions coming in guys so we'll actually go a little bit longer today just because we have so many questions we're going to try to get to quite a few of them uh this next one here is from nathan and he says what texas commit are y'all interested to see play this high school season the most it's a great
2: question um for me it's deontre robinson um uh, and probably Alex January, the both of the big defensive linemen. I think those guys develop later physically. But DeAndre Robinson, because I think he's got a chip on his shoulder about rankings. Oh. I think he's out to prove a point this year. I think he feels, and I like kids like this. It, it, it's not his sole focus, but I've had conversations with him about it, and I can tell he has a little purpose with that this year. Um, and I feel bad for the quarterbacks and running backs that disappear on video um, after he hits them. But if he looks like I think he's going to look athletic, uh, athletically at 6'3.5", three 315 this year, I, I, I can't wait to see what that looks like as a motivated young man. And then Alex January as well. I mean, Alex January played baseball spring of his junior year. We had Mike January and Alex on the show. You can go back and find those interviews on, on Texas football. But – not having baseball this spring going, being solely focused on football. I think you're seeing, going to see a stronger, more explosive guy that already has really good hand placement as Mike January will tell you, but you're going to see a guy who's had that off season in the weight room, had spring practice at Duncanville, and he is going to have some favorable matchups this year. And I I expect both of these D tackles to be rankings risers. I have a feeling who Bobby's going to say, let's see
1: if I'm right. I don't know if you do. I mean, I, so first of all, IMG since they have two commits, right? And Duncanville, two <laughs> commits. So, so you got to put that out there. Jordan Johnson, Bell, Jarrett Gibson. I'm, I'm interested to see how they play this year. Um, you also have uh, Duncanville with Colin Simmons as well as Alex January. Uh, the, the, there's actually three that I would put in this cal- category: Christian Clark, uh, out <laughs> in <my> Arizona. Guess. <laughs> I want to see him as a full time running back. Yeah, I mean, just uh, I, I want to see that because I, I think he's a special guy. And then the other two are actually down in Cyprus. I want to see Trey Owens as a senior, the quarterback, because I think raw talent-wise, he is – guys, he has a lot of talent. And I don't think that he's properly rated for that, in my my opinion. He's a district MVP as a junior in one of the better districts in the state, yet gets not much love. And then Jordan Washington, the tight end, because I haven't – here's the issue, Jerry – I haven't seen him that since he's getting bigger physically. Yes. And, and so his tape last year is not him necessarily as big as he is now. So how does that translate? Those are, those are my guys.
2: I, I think that's a great one on Jordan Washington. I think he's going to be another rankings riser as a senior. Um, look, it, Todd Thompson, the head coach at Langham Creek, does a great job putting him in position to be an all-around tight end. He asked him to block and be physical in the run game. He splits him out wide. Um, So he does a lot of things with Jordan Washington that's going to put a lot of really good tape out there for him. And now, like you said, Bobby's 17 pounds heavier, 18 pounds heavier.
0: Well, it's funny that y'all mentioned Owens, January, Robinson, and Clark, because this next question mentions them specifically, too, from David Williams. And he wants to know, who are the likely recruits to increase in the rankings? Uh, of course, he said Owens in January he thinks will move up to four stars. And Robinson and Clark will have the biggest moves. Jerry, do you see them moving up? I do think
2: those are the two that could have the biggest moves,
0: yeah. And I think Alex January and Jordan Washington would be two picks
2: for me that could will bump to four stars. On, on three industry ranking four star, which pretty much means a, a, a unanimous type of situation. Um, I, those are the guys I have pegged early on um uh, both the d linemen yes Uh, christian clark yes for the reasons bobby said i think he's undervalued because they played him all over the place he had 700 rushing 400 receiving what 30 tackles couple interceptions i think he'll have a big year at running back still catch passes and he's bigger stronger and faster now uh but jordan washington one bobby hit on as well i'll tell throw another one out daniel cruz he's actually gonna have center tape as a senior People are ranking him as a center prospect off a tackle and defensive tackle tape. He's going to have some center tape this year and still play some left tackle and get to show that left tackle athleticism while actually mauling people at center. So I I think he's going to be a riser as well. All
0: right, let's see here. We got a super chat from Boomer Beats. He says, well, having Joe let's help get an extra couple guys drafted. Guys who can play special teams can make a roster if they're on the fringe, right?
1: Yes, so Brendan Schooler says hello. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, great point. Yeah, he made it based off that and uh, some um, all-around ability. Uh, I don't, but he wasn't drafted, right? And so a lot of those guys. I remember Marcus Wilkins back in the day was a uh, uh, he literally was a backup linebacker at Texas that I think played five, six, seven years in the NFL, uh, based off of special teams for the Packers. Um, you, you look at other guys, Adrian Phillips. Really got his start in the NFL as a backup safety and a special teams guy. Now he was—I don't think he was drafted either. I, I, I may be mistaken there, but my point being that um, right now uh, I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, that they'll actually get drafted. Maybe somebody like Keelan Robinson, but that's not necessarily Joe Decamilis is doing as much as it is just what Keelan brings to the table.
2: Hey, I, Blake, I, you don't have to pull it up. Some, somebody asked how much talent is there in the 25 class. I think he means in the state of Texas. I want to point out something in 2025 recruiting. It's been Dallas-Fort Worth dominated the last two, three years. Houston actually has a strong class in 2025, so something we'll monitor as the season goes on. More guys will pop up from DFW, the but there's more – higher end guys in Houston than there has been the last two or three years. So something to follow in recruiting, especially with Sark knowing he needs to put more emphasis in the Houston area after A&M ran the tables almost in 2022.
0: Okay. I thought I had a question about Houston, but I can't find it. So I may circle back to that one. Let's do this super chat here from Jimmy Trevino. He says week two, is there not more pressure on Bama? They hear all the noise on us. it will be a top 10 matchup with college game day. Their people seem uneasy y'all thoughts.
1: I think that they're. I think that Bama and I've got to go back and look, do the numbers, but a year after a close win by Nick Saban, he comes back and tries to lay it on that team the next year to kind of shove it in them, you know, a little, a little bit. So I'm guessing that he's spending more time on Texas this off season than he did last year, frankly. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a big game for Bama. I think Texas will get Bama's best shot early, period. I don't know that they necessarily did last year. Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator for Alabama, treated it like it was another, just another walk in the park, uh, and it clearly wasn't for them. So uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think it's going to be a big game.
0: And this next one is from Heoli Free Holy Boy, and uh, he says, "Could y'all see Jonte Cook having a better freshman season than Worthy's? How about better than Evan Stewart's freshman season?"
2: Uh, I cannot, just because of what you mentioned, Worthy, Whittington, um, you know, Ad Mitchell, Isaiah Naor. It's a deep and talented wide receiver core. I think Jonte Cook will have his moments for sure, because he's a five-star, talented prospect who's worked like he's a three-star with a chip on his shoulder. Uh, but it's too talented and deep of a wide receiver room for a freshman to come in and have a type of season worthy. Did Worthy had to have that season for Texas? There worthy was,
1: no was, yeah. Worthy was the focal point as a freshman. Jonte right. Cook will not, unless just devastating injuries across the board happen. Jonte Cook will not be the focal point as a freshman.
0: All right. I found that question that I was going to ask about Houston, Jerry. When you mentioned that, it's from Dennis Donaldson. He says, Jerry, will you, Justin, or Joe be catching many high school football games in the greater Houston area this year? Any chance of an on Texas football event or meetup at or before a game y'all plan on attending?
2: It's a good question. Those are tough for me on Friday. I mean, I'm really, I get into those games. I look, I'm an early guy. I like to get into the stadium at 4 30 or 5 for seven kickoff because that's when you get a lot of the best information. Um, a lot of best conversations. So those are tough for me on Fridays. Um, definitely have a look though. We'll definitely be out and about. Uh, I, I will be at a sci Fair a couple of times for sure. I mean, Trey Owens, Landon Rink, they play Jordan Washington. Um, there's a couple other targets for uh, Texas and some younger classes there that is on the schedule for CyFair. Fair. Uh, so for sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll be out and about. Um, you always got to go catch North Shore. Um, you you got to go... There's, there's a number of teams that we'll catch in the Houston area for sure. Fort Ben Marshall's got guys again, Jerry, not just this year,
1: but years coming up too. Yeah,
2: yeah, they got a 2026 Isaiah Williams that that coaching staff thinks may be one of the best players in the country if he keeps on the track. He's on that. Doesn't even count Caleb Chester in 25 and Josh Lair in 24. They think the 2026 kid over there is special. Dickinson will be another as well. So, yeah, Tyler Thomas, offensive tackle, lean in the Texas.
0: Well, let's head a little north here for this question. Emmanuel Villafranco says the is Texas after any 2025 players in Central Texas? I'm in Georgetown and I want to check out some players this season.
2: Uh, that's a good question. let me let me pull that up right now. Um, that, that one puts me on the spot. I, was, I, I wasn't thinking Syntex right now I was thinking Houston, but let me pull that up. Um, I'm sure I'm sure there are though I, I will tell you that. Um, just going like I said, Houston's really strong. Um, in 2025, um, you know, Texas didn't really go after Adrian Weiss from Flugerville. uh, Adrian Wilson from Flugerville Weiss, he's committed to Oregon, the wide out. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, look, Westlake's got a young quarterback coming up that people are saying is really good. Uh, San Antonio has a young quarterback, Ty Hawkins. He was actually at a Texas camp committed to TCU is a very good player. If you're looking to get out and just watch some high school football, in the Syntex area. But, you know, look, obviously, you have Tem- uh, not 2025s, but Temple, Lake Belton, Micah Hudson, Selman Bridges. They're going to play a couple of teams from Colleen. Colleen Shoemaker has some young talent. Uh, Toby Foreman, who was a longtime coach at West Orange Start, one of the best track coaches in the state. He coached Earl Thomas, Dion a lot of those guys in football, the secondary coach and track. He's got some young talent over there at, at Shoemaker and Colleen, I believe. So they'll be playing Lake Belton. Uh, so those Syntex area teams. But Westlake's got a young quarterback that's probably worth
1: watching on a Friday night. Hey, I got to say this. I'm looking through the list, Jerry, and this is interesting. I don't know. I don't see a player that Texas has offered in Central Texas. Right. For 2025. Do you see one? No. No. no I, I think that's
2: the thing. I mean, that, that's the thing right now. I think the 2026 class is the next really good one
0: in the Austin area, from what we're hearing. Okay. And, of course, high school football starts in about nine days. hard to believe that it's Ooh. that close, guys. <laughs> Scrimmage is already happening, too. Uh, We got a super chat here from Jose Rodriguez. He said, we've heard of Texas having great communication with recruits. Does that continue even if they don't choose the
2: Longhorns? Oh, for sure. Look, these recruitments are so important nowadays because of the portal. Uh, That's why relationships matter in recruiting, is because there's some of these kids that you you will have the ability to, to get on the bounce back if you want. And the interesting part about that is, Bobby, we've had college coaches saying, and this is from the basketball side too, it's interesting because they've already gone through the de-recruitment phase. They're past the BS. And you get them on the bounce back when they're already accustomed to college sports and the college game. So, yeah, that's why relationships are important. You want to stay on these guys, even the guys you miss on because, look, they might be. They might be picking up the phone to call you in six, eight months.
0: Never know. Hey, After I want to. Blake, I ahead, read,
1: Oh, okay. You got something else? I'm sorry. Oh no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, this is one I wanted to talk about real quick. Uh, Andrew Grice with a question: How far out do you co- guys wait, or coaches, to start looking? Two classes out. Too sorry. Star- too soon to start recruiting. Talking about 2026 20, kids. It is probably for Jerry and I, for right. the, in large part, but the coaches don't wait. No. <laughs> Their full go, whenever they find someone they think they might want, it doesn't matter if they're a freshman. They, they, that process started as soon as they find somebody they want. So it's not media, Well, we don't necessarily catch on or, or uh, talk about it much because it's just so far out, college coaches are a different breed in that regard and, and personnel departments in, in particular.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, there's, there's 2026 as we already know about, right? Jermichael Finley's got – a son, Alito, that's going to be a very, very good player, right? I mean, there's a lot of the – here's the one thing. Oftentimes, you guys talk about it in the chat. We talk about it on here. Uh, they bite as a pup, right? There's a lot of kids that bite as a pup their freshman year in high school. And they're the special players, look, Texas is already recruiting those guys for sure. No doubt about it.
0: We got a super chat here from Shillsbury and Shillsbury says shout out to Kingston Lopa out of Sacramento. Uh, And he says he's the legion of boom safety. We need or a Demarvian overshone mold. I hope we randomly get him from Oregon after Baker. Have you heard anything about that? Jerry?
2: I have not, but you know, look, he's a very talented guy. Four-star prospect. He's six, four, six, four and a half, about 190 pounds. Um, He's committed to Oregon. Obviously, um, but he's a very talented safety. And uh, I think I randomly get him after from Morgan after Baker's an interesting comment.
0: Okay, this next one, guys. Green Valley Six says, "What expectations do you have for Coach Sark in order for him to take the next step besides winning? Like not blowing play calls, time of possession, etc.
1: Besides not winning, I, I look. Ted wins is the number. But then beyond that, for me." I think that um, what I haven't – what I've seen a problem with Sark is an inconsistency on moving the football multiple possessions in a row. So if someone makes an, an adjustment, Texas hasn't necessarily been able to adjust side by side and come out with the next series and then move the ball again. So two three and outs in a row. I hope Texas has none of those the entire season. I'll put it that way. Um, on offense, that would be a move in the right direction. Is that going to, is that humanly possible? It's very unlikely, but I don't like it when Texas's offense has gone stale for more than a series in a row. So even if it's just two first downs and punt, that's a lot different than two, three and outs in a row where you're putting your defense right back out there and the other offense can start hunting, hunting and pecking your, your weaknesses, uh, in and of themselves. Jerry, you have a thought on that?
2: No, no, I think you covered it all. I mean, I think you covered it well.
0: All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of on Texas football today. We definitely appreciate everybody tuning in. Don't forget. Hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate it. Don't And also don't forget to head on over to InsideTexas.com and become a member if you haven't already. Great time to be there. Lots of news coming in, both in team and recruiting. And, of course, a little basketball, too, from Jerry as well. So you get the trifecta. I uh, want to thank all of you for tuning in. Thank you all for our super chats. And... Um, I believe Jerry will be back with Justin later today for the recruiting roundup. And then, of course, all three of us will be back tomorrow morning. So for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you next time.